A lot of us don't deal well with surprises. How do you deal with surprises? Whether they're good or bad, sometimes surprises can be troubling. Several years ago when I turned 60, my wife organized a large surprise birthday party for me. You see, I thought I was going out to dinner with just the immediate family. On a pretense of stopping by the church, I entered this large room which was filled with many of you saying, surprise. I was surprised. Well, what goes around comes around. The following year, I packed our house with all of Nancy's friends for a surprise birthday party. As we pulled into the the driveway, we just happened to see Karen Nelson running into our house. (laughs) And Nancy said to me, why is Karen Nelson running into our house? And... I said, I don't know. (laughs) And then she got and she said, I'm not leaving this car. I says, well, honey, there's a house full of people who are waiting for you. (laughs) So we're all leaving. No more surprise birthday parties. Well, we celebrate the resurrection today. A wonderful incredible event. It is the highlight of the Christian calendar. But as we see in this passage, uh, most of those who were there were surprised. Uh, For one reason or another, they didn't remember his words or they didn't put it all together, but all of them were surprised at what happened. And in our passage, I see four expressions of this surprise that have something to teach us this morning as we consider our Easter celebrations. Now, the resurrection was a miracle on a par with nothing else. But the Lord, believe it or not, is still working in our lives, is he not? Smaller miracles, small things. He does still work with us. And each one of us at various times in our lives will respond to that work in our our lives in various ways. Many of them very valid And I'm going to look at them and consider uh, four responses, four expressions. And then, but I want to use a touchstone. There's 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 a maturing and there's a tempering principle that always has to be brought into play as we consider what the Lord does in our lives. So let's take a look. Verses one through five, uh, first thing that we see is some got emotional. Some got emotional. It says in verse one, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb. Well, who were they? Well, in order to find out who they is, you have to go back up into chapter 23. Verse 55 says, now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed when they put him in the tomb so they knew where he was, in verse 56 says, And they returned, they prepared some spices, and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. So as they were coming, they were coming to finalize 
the burial of Jesus. They had brought some spices and some stuff that they were going to uh, finalize his burial that early Sunday morning. Now the text says um, their response, first of all, in verse 4, they were perplexed. And that word means um, we're not quite sure. Do we go this way? Do we go that way? Uh, We don't kind of know what we want to do. So they were perplexed. They were confused. And then it said they were terrified, which means basically they were terrified. (laughs) They were frightened. They didn't know what was happening. Because they were not expecting this. This was a surprise to them. It was a surprise. They had expected the body of the Lord Jesus, their friend. The person they had been with for many years. Probably in their mind they were thinking, well, we'll just, you know, rub the body down and and finalize things. And maybe they were going to, you know, say goodbye to Jesus. They hadn't really had a proper time to spend that real time with Jesus the night he was killed. And so there was a time, probably maybe some crying going on. That would be reasonable. Amen. You know, holding him. This was their friend. This was a person they highly looked up to. That's where their mindset was. It wasn't, uh, they got what they weren't expecting. Now I'm sure all of you have had experiences like that. Now, not that they turned out to be a miracle, but the Lord began to do something in your life and you were surprised. And perhaps even your first expression was what? You got emotional. What's going on? Why is this happening to me? Very much like those women that first day when they came upon the empty tomb. Remember many years ago, while I was in Bible school, a young girl that I had been engaged to, I found out, not even by her, but by just on a happenstance, that she was marrying one of my best friends. I was surprised. (laughs) Uh, And I was emotional. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I... I liken to it like swallowing a hot bowling ball. That's what my stomach, like I had swallowed a hot bowling ball. I was very surprised and very emotional for several weeks. But then within a year, I realized what a miracle and a blessing was that I didn't marry her. (laughs) Now, you you said, well, what's that tempering, maturing principle? Look with me in verse 8. And they remembered his words. There it is. They're right there. There it is. They were all confused and kind of, what's going on? And they were, you know, they were kind of frightened by the two men. But it what? It all kind of came together when when what? When they remembered his words. That pulled it all together. And oftentimes that's the same for us, isn't it? You were confused, we don't understand, we're kind of emotional, uh, we're, we don't know what's going on until, what? We remember his words, we think, oh, wait, 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 there. So some get emotional. That day they did. Um, verses 9 through 11, we see some were misunderstood. The women come and they report what has happened. To the apostles. And verse 11 says, And the words appear to them 
as nonsense. As nonsense. Now I think, well, what's going on with that? Well, just imagine. Okay, this is first century. Uh, here's the apostles. They're kind of sitting around, bummed out. And all these women, they kind of burst in the room and they're all excited. And they're, one is saying, uh, oh, well, you should have. And then they're going, just going on. And they're all kind of still caught up in the moment. And the apostles look at them like, just a bunch of silly, emotional women. Well, that's possible. And the other reason, perhaps, why they were uh, misunderstood is was because the apostles, they too were still going through a time of grief. And sorrow over what had happened. This was the this was the man that was going to set them up in the kingdom. He, you know, these these were the, his close confidants. And when things really got rolling, as his he was the Messiah and he was the king, they were in line for uh, just a completely different life. And all of a sudden, all their plans were shattered. And they're just sitting there like. And then these women come in, and they tell this story about him having risen from the dead. And uh, remember, the tempering and maturing principle, they did not remember his words. They didn't remember. They didn't call it to mind. Now, those of us who have believers... We've had something like this. Have you ever uh, been excited about what the Lord is doing in your life and gone shared it with someone? <laughs> and uh, they kind of like, don't push your religion on me. I won't believe. And it's not like we're trying to push our religion. It's just that we're just excited. We're just wow, the Lord has really done some neat things into my life. And I just want to share them. So they were misunderstood. And the reason for the misunderstanding is rooted and grounded in verse 8. They didn't remember his words. So some were misunderstood. Third expression is found in verse, also in the same verses, set of verses. Some were in denial. <laughs> Some were in denial. Look especially at verse 11. And they would not believe. They would not believe. Now, we've talked about why uh, the apostles were responding that way. Perhaps uh, the women, they perceived the women as just being silly, emotional women. Perhaps... Also, they were still going on in uh, their own grief and their own sorrow and really not believing what the women were saying and they didn't remember his words. Uh, they were in what we call denial. They would not believe. They would not believe. Now, this is especially important uh, today. All of us have people maybe in our lives that we've talked to and that we've witnessed to and shared with about what the Lord is doing. And they are described in verse 11, latter part of maybe of whole verse. They look at us as if we're, we got lobsters crawling out of our ears, you know. What? And they just will not believe. 
And I thought about that. Some reasons why people will not believe. I wrote them down. First of all, sometimes today, some people won't believe because they have problems with the story of creation versus the uh, theory of evolution. They really struggle with what the Bible says, and that's a problem. Some have philosophical differences with what the Bible says, uh, especially about this Jesus being raised from the dead. How did that happen? There are and have been and will continue to be prominent Christians who have uh, turned out to be charlatans and cheaters. Uh, Romans 2 talks about that. says the believers of that day uh, had caused the word of God to be blasphemed because of their actions. We've seen people that, gee, I thought he was a good Christian. Some have been hurt. They've been hurt by life. Life and has not been good. They've had difficult, terrible things happen to them. And they really struggle with the concept of a loving God allowing those things to happen to them. Some have found some comfort, some amount of comfort in another religion. And then there are those who use these that I've talked about and others as a smokescreen for just doing what they want to do. Uh, and they know if they were to become a believer and a follower of Jesus, they would have to stop doing that. And they just don't want to stop. And there's probably some other reasons. Will not believe. Now, the Bible tells us that God is sovereign. Absolutely sovereign. What that word means, that's a big theological word. That means that he is in control of everything. And yet, and yet, the Bible says there's a small part that we play in our eternal destiny. A small part. And that's, we can choose to believe or not believe. We get to choose. If you remember the, in the Bible, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, preaches this wonderful sermon. 5,000, 6,000 people, large group of people. And at the end of his sermon, someone cries out, Brethren, what should we do? What should we do in light of what you said? And Peter says what? Repent. And be baptized. Repent and believe. That is something they had to do. God can't believe in himself for you. You must believe in him. Now, the question comes to mind, well, how does one move from a place of unbelief to belief? How, how does that take place? Well, that's, now we're talking miracle. <laughs> Because there's some of you that other Christians would never believe would be in church this morning. As believers, you're a miracle, the fact that you're here. How did you move from that place of unbelief to belief? Well, a couple of things. Um, just some Bible verses. James 4, 6 says that God is actively working against the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, when we're all caught up in our own self-importance and how wonderful we are and how 
great we've put together our lives by ourselves and we're the captain of our ship and the master of our fate and we're sure that we can pull life together and make it have sense for us. God, it says in the Bible, is working against you. So pride hinders you moving from a place of unbelief to belief. Romans chapter 1, let me read the passage, says this, Romans 1.20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. The second way we begin to move away from unbelief to belief is take a careful look at creation. At what has been created, because it says in the Bible that his invisible attributes, well, what are they? His eternal power and his divine nature can be clearly seen if we'll just carefully examine it and look at it. He's there in his creation. When you look at a picture that's been painted by an artist, you can see what type of person he is based on the creative abilities that he has before you on the campus, on the, on the, on the painting. And you can see him, the complexity and the in- intricate beauty of creation has not just happened by chance and time. It is an act of a creator and he speaks to us through our careful examination of that which he has created. John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8, speaks about after he's left, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And it says the Holy Spirit has come to convict us of sin. And so when we are doing something wrong and there's that, "Mm, mm, mm," there's that, He's, he's telling us, he's, he's telling us that he cares for us and he doesn't want us to go that way and, and there's a conviction and we need to be sensitive, have an open heart to that conviction that comes. Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when we read the Word of God, when we turn on the radio, when we hear the Word of God and we we hear it preached on a Sunday morning, that hearing and reading engenders faith. And finally, um, a passage in Ephesians chapter 2 says this, And you, and that means you and me, all of us, were dead in our sins and trespasses. Wow. You walk according to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. We all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath. The last thing that from the Bible is we need to see our own lostness. We need to see that we have no spirituality, that we're drifting further and further away from God. 
We have no hope. We're children of wrath, not children of God. We have to see our own lostness, our own spiritual bankruptcy. And then it moves us away from unbelief to belief. Okay. Having said all that, there's one other thing, and that's going right back to verse 11. We must believe. Having said all that, all those things, those are all true, but yet we can choose to believe or not to believe. Isn't that true? Let me give you an example. If you had decided to buy a new car and you knew the model that you wanted, so you go to the car dealership and as you look at all the different types, you realize this is the one that would perfectly meet my needs. Okay? And it's the best model of all the other kinds that you could buy. Right? This was the car. This is the car I want. And not only was it the one you want, not only is it the one that uh, will meet all your needs, and it's priced right. It's right at the price that you can afford. And the salesman who's been presenting the product to you hasn't been pushy, but he's just been the perfect salesman to really magnify and show you how good this car is and what a great deal it is. Then comes the final time they present the papers. You know in your heart, don't you? As good as that car was, as good as the presentation, as good as the price is, you still can say, no, I don't want to buy it. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? As good as it is, you can still say, "Eh, let me think about it. I don't want to buy it. Or you could say, yes, I'll buy it. It is in your heart. You get to choose. You get to choose. And there's consequences to that choice, isn't there? You can choose to believe. It says in 1 John chapter 5, He who has the Son has eternal life. So you choose, if you have the Son, you have life. He who does not have the Son, if he's chosen, no, I don't want it, does not have eternal life. Not talking about religious. It's talking, have you become a follower of Jesus? You have eternal life. If you've not become a follower of Jesus, you don't have eternal life. Now, in John chapter 20, you remember the story of Doubting Thomas. Do you remember that story? John chapter 20. I'm turning as I'm talking here. He he said, and all of his friends said, Jesus is alive. We've seen him. We're so excited. And all the ladies in the back are going, yeah, I just had a wonderful time. (laughs) But he said, John 20, 25, unless I see in his hands the imprint of his nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side. Here's the words. I will not believe. Will not believe. He remembered the words. He wanted to see it. So Jesus appears. And what happens? He believes. He says, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says this. He says, Because you've seen me, have you believed? 
That's good. But then he goes on. He says, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Who's that? It's you. It's me. We haven't seen many resurrected Jesuses walking around here late. Now those apostles... They believed when they were confronted with the living Christ. Amen? Uh, They came, and then all of a sudden, everything kind of came together for them. But blessed are you who hear and have believed. Okay. Moving on real quick. The last uh, expression of that Resurrection Sunday is some marveled. Verse 12. Now, Luke focuses in on Peter. Although both Peter and John went to the tomb, but Luke focuses on specifically on this man, Peter. But Peter arose to the, ran to the tomb, stooping, looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at that which had happened. He marveled. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, when you're look, doing a New Testament study, you always want to... Look at how the author uses that word primarily. You can look at how other authors in the book used it, but primarily you always want to look at, well, how did Luke use this word? So just a little Bible study real quick. Luke 24 and uh, verse 41, just the next page over. It said, Jesus appears before them. And while they stood, could not believe it for joy, and they were, there's the word, marveling. That means they were like, uh, we, wow, it's so good to see you, Jesus. But um, how does this happen? How did this work? They were marveling. They were wondering, what's going on here? Yeah, we believe it, but oh, wow, it's so unusual. That's one of the uses. I found another use, uh, 11, Luke 11, 40, Luke 11, 14. 11.14. Let me read that. It says, And he, that is Jesus, was casting out a demon out of a man, and the man uh, couldn't speak. He was dumb. And it came about that when the demon had gone out of him, the dumb man spoke, and the multitudes were marveling. It was like, wow, we've never seen anything like this. Uh, how did you do this? And there were lots of questions and wondering. The last uh, passage we'll look at is all the way back in Luke chapter 1. Remember the story? Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, was in the temple and he had certain responsibilities. And as he delayed, because he had a vision, an angel was speaking to him in the temple, it said this, and the people were waiting for Zacharias because they wanted to get on with whatever there was going on that day in the temple. And they were wondering. That's the same word. Same Greek word. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. Hmm. So they were sitting around. Well, gee, where is where's Zacharias? What's going on? There was no surprise. There was just, wow, what is going on around here? Why isn't Zacharias coming out? So taking those meanings, when it says that Peter went away from the tomb, went back home, marveling. I think, I think what, what Luke is trying to tell us, that he was, he was shocked and surprised at where was Jesus' body. But at the same time, he was what? Thinking over in his mind. 
What's happened? Maybe even what? Back to verse 8. Remembering his words? Remembering, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Remember Mecca, Caesarea Philippi? He told me that he was gonna, this was going to happen. And he was, he was pondering it. Now, he wasn't like verse, the rest in verse 11 who will not believe. No, no, no. He had moved past that. He, had, he began to move to a place where, hmm, I wonder, wow, thinking, rolling it over his mind, meditating on what had happened. Now, the reason I bring that up is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, believe it or not, makes a notation just in, this, in verse 5. He says, and he, that is Jesus, appeared uh, to Cephas, to Peter first, before he appeared to any of the other apostles. Why do you do that? Why did Peter get a special kind of interview with the risen Jesus first, before anybody else? Well, I thought, well, Peter and Jesus have an issue. <laughs> Do you remember what the issue was? He, he, he said at the Last Supper, you know, if everyone else denies you, I'll never deny you. I'll be with you even to death. And then what did he do? Just a few hours later, three times he denied it. So... Jesus, being a very sensitive spiritual man, he, he spent some time with Peter by himself. He didn't want him. You know, there was a time where he had to talk about that issue. They had an issue. But I also think that Peter was the first to begin to put it together. Wow. And he's thinking, I wonder how's this working? What's happening here? Now, in another gospel, it said Peter believed as he went away from the tomb. That's in another gospel. But I don't think he had moved to a place that, you know, just he was in a process of. But he was, certainly wasn't like they were in verse 11. We're not going to believe you. But he had moved past that. But he was in a, a transitionary state. And as he moved, Jesus made himself known. At that point. Now, um, sometimes the impression is given by Christians that you've got to just believe and then it just so, so certain. No, 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 no. Sometimes there's a transition going on in our lives. We're not like verse 11, I won't believe. But we're not like we can proclaim our faith with all certainty. We're in a place of marveling, thinking, pondering rolling it around in our heads, wondering, how's this all work? Now, I'm certainly not putting forth this morning that you should put off receiving Christ. No, 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 no. But oftentimes we begin a journey. It's a journey. And it's not honestly automatic within a minute. One minute we're totally an unbeliever, and the next minute, well, I believe and I'm ready to preach the gospel. No, I don't think it happens that way. Some does. But many of us are just like Peter. We're kind of, I wonder how this works and thinking about it and remembering his word, maybe reading the Bible, thinking about it. And that's good. Now, I remember my transition. I began wondering and pondering back in the winter of uh, 68 and 69. But it wasn't until 
71, 72, that I came to that place where I knew. Now, perhaps some of us are here this morning like that. We're certainly not at verse 11. <laughs> now we've moved past that. But we're, we're in the place where we're marveling. We're marveling. We're wondering. We're pondering. Can I just suggest something that you might say if you're in that place? Say something like this. Think about it. I've composed this little prayer. Something you might want to say. Something like this. Jesus, I'm wondering what this is all about. Jesus, help me find the way. There's a lack in my life. There's an emptiness in my life. And I think it has something to do with you. Help me see you clearly. I don't want to be religious. I just want to long for a relationship with the God who made me. That's a pretty good prayer. That's a good place to start. Because like Peter, some of us, we're not in place of unbelief. I will not believe, but yet we're still thinking, wondering. And like Peter, that kind of attitude, that kind of heart, that kind of marveling, Christ, Christ will reveal himself to you. Okay, so we see four expressions in this passage. Some got emotional, some misunderstood, some were in denial, and some were wondering and marveling. Let me close with this. Stories going around in the Stanford Research Laboratories that they've made important changes in their procedures in the laboratory recently. Instead of using rats in their experiments, they're now using attorneys. <laughs> when they were asked why this change was initiated, the head of the laboratory said, well, there are three good reasons. The first is there are more of them available. Second, we find that the students don't get emotionally attached to them. And thirdly, there are some things that rats just won't do. <laughs> now, we always make fun of lawyers, don't we? And there's jokes about lawyers and all those things. And they're cute, but we do need lawyers. They are an essential part of life, amen? There's times when we need a good lawyer. Now we make fun about, there's jokes about God. There's all sorts of jokes about God and and people even use God's name in a curse. You know, they'll say, Jesus Christ in a curse. But at times there's an emptiness of life. And we face our own mortality. Uh, Jesus becomes very, very important. Doesn't he? You see... This morning as we celebrate the resurrection, we realize that the resurrection assures us, the resurrection assures us of forgiveness of sins. 
the resurrection assures us that there's a meaning to life. There's meaning to life. There's a purpose that God has for us. More than just working so we can pay for the food and clothing that enables us to go back to work. There's more to life than just that. The resurrection assures us. The resurrection assures us that we have victory over sin. That He can help us with that struggle. The resurrection assures us of eternal life. But not an eternal life like many of uh, the Eastern religions where our, our spirit, who we really are, kind of goes back to a general big spirit. and We're kind of lost in the nirvana of the power of the, the good side. No, no, no. It's a life that's connected to who you are. There's an assurance. When they saw the resurrected Christ, they recognized him. He knew them. And he is what they call the first fruits of the resurrection. What does that mean? Well, as he was in that kind of body, in that kind of nature. It was a physical, spiritual body, if we can understand that. That too. He's the first. Guess who's the second? Every one of us who believe in him. That's what the resurrection speaks about. Now, I don't know what your expression of Resurrection Sunday will be. There's some pretty good ones here. But I love the ending. And the ending is, if you'll put your trust in me, if you'll have faith in me, you will be with me. That's what he said to the man on the cross. You will be with me. I don't know what you're thinking about what the end of life is, but I can tell you one thing that I'd like. I'd like to be with Jesus. I'd like to be with him. He tells you, you put your trust in me, you'll put your faith in me, you will be with me. That's a promise of Jesus that I'm banking on How about you guys? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God, the assured word that you give us concerning life and its meaning here. I pray, I pray that each one of us might experience the goodness of God, the plan of God that comes through his dear son as we celebrate his resurrection as we look forward to the resurrection of everyone who puts their hope and trust in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Please stand with me this morning. If you've uh, been thinking about the Christian faith, this might be a good Sunday to come on up and Talk to us. We'd love to pray with you about that. There'll be men, ladies, pastors up here in the front. If we can talk to you about the Christian faith, please come forward. At the same time, if you've come with a burden, a care, or something that's on you, and 
It's just been troubling you. Whether it is physical, emotional, maybe your job, maybe something else, and you need prayer, come on forward. We'd love to talk and pray with you this morning. Brother Al. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And He is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Sing that again. He is Lord. about Easter as a child I think about Easter eggs and bunnies and I suppose that's alright and then we'd always go home and have ham <laughs> for dinner I mean why not why don't we have turkey on Easter I don't know sometimes we'd have raviolis <laughs> I much like the raviolis I don't know what you're doing this uh, Easter Sunday morning But I pray that the presence of God would enter your family and your heart. Whether you're having raviolis, ham, or sandwiches, or whatever it is. Uh, Because it's not what you put inside your mouth. It goes into your stomach and then whatever. But it's what you put in your soul. Each one of us need a little spirit that comes from Jesus. Amen? Amen? God bless you.